When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Uh, good, Andy. Doing good. No complaints. That's great. Um, all right, so we are down now to the final three years of our... Th- how many years was this? 31? Uh, 32. 32-year tour of force of Cub history from 1980 to 2011. Well, and we had special episodes throughout this, too. We did a 1977 special episode when the Cubs had a hot May last year, and uh, Frank Nova joined us. That was a fun one. And uh, we've done some other impromptu remember this craps that didn't necessarily correlate. We did the Cub Hall of Fame. We did. Which is a classic episode. It is. And so we have the order. So people might want to uh, set their – do you have to set a DVR to listen to a podcast? Probably not. Uh, So this one is going to be the 1987 Cubs. And then the next Remember This Crap – well, the next one's going to be a Bear Remember This Crap. But then we'll be back with the Cub uh, Remember This Crap. It'll be everybody's favorite season. 2004. Get your pitchforks ready. And then our final one will be the 1984 Cubs. The 2003 Cubs, That's a th- we did a three-hour podcast on that, right? Uh, right, and the listen, li- listeners who may or may not have listened to it weren't, might not be aware that we had a technical glitch while recording that one. Yeah, that's right. We had we to actually reenact part of it. We did about, lost about so, like 40, 40 Nixon minutes. Right? I would guess that the 84 Cubs... That will rival the Thornbirds as far as running time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a timely okay. reference. Uh, kids, uh, there was a time when Richard Chamberlain. Okay. I was going to say, special guest star, Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, he did the Thornbirds. Shogun? He did Shogun. Uh, I don't know what else. And a very underrated Richard Chamberlain movie, which I believe you could find on YouTube. Um is a movie called King Solomon's Mines. They actually made two of them, but you only have to watch the first one. Uh, it was a is a blatant Indiana Jones ripoff. But it had something that Indiana Jones didn't have, which was a his sidekick in the entire movie and romantic interest, which Richard, as turns out, probably the, really didn't the, have any interest in. But we the Karen the Karen Allen analog, as it were, Sharon Stone. Oh, a it young is prime movie. Sharon Stone would have been a and young Sharon Stone. And the movie Sharon is Stone legitimately, and it's supposed to be funny. The movie is legitimately funny. So Richard Chamberlain participated in a farce, is what you're saying? <laughs> That's right. They had all like, the a sexual literal. chemistry of what was the movie Summersby with uh, Richard Gere and Jodie Foster? 
Okay. Well, <laughs> how would like that rate? Two hours of them like looking at each other like, nah, no. Kind of the, uh, to bring it back to sports, the baseball equivalent of Tony Perkins portraying uh, Jimmy Pearsall in Fierce, the, the movie adaptation of Fear Strikes Out. Basically. Um. <laughs> All right, so um, we don't have to spin a wheel. Yeah, we put the wheel. We, we decided to put the wheel down, yeah. not tempt fate. So Makes sense. It works out that I way. I can tell I mean, you I did no prep, so it still remembered this crap, but it was not researched this crap. Yeah. Part of the reason I'm doing this is because I don't have to, even knowing what's ahead, you know, Hey, I got a real job and you know, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy enough just to be able to show up and do this. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'll ruminate on some things, but I'm not looking anything up until we you know, start talking about it. So five fun facts about the 1987 Cubs. Ooh. All right. Let's see. Uh, I've kind of, I fall in the habit of going, uh, starting with opening day because I think chronologically, and I'll do it again with a twist. Opening day, play-by-play announcer, Brent Musburger. That's right, kids. No Harry Carey in the booth because Harry, fact number two, had a stroke in the offseason. And um, they wouldn't come back until uh, some point in May. So uh, fact number three would be the the last season for 18 years in which Greg Maddox would – be on a major league roster and not win 15 games. Greg, Greggy's first full season, uh, rookie with the Cubs. Um, another fact in 87, uh, sometime in early, Ju- Ju- early July, uh, in the day game at Wrigley, I would say former Cub nemesis, Eric Shaw, except for the fact that the Cubs pretty much just consistently pinned his goddamn, John Burt Society loving ears back both times they faced him in the 84 LCS. Uh, definitely made himself a villain when he beamed um, pending MB- MVP, eventual MVP Andre Dawson in the face. And I kind of, I guess, gave it away there. I'll just say that in his MVP season in 1987, Andre Dawson did in fact hit a home run in his final Wrigley Field appearance. Those are pretty random, I would say. Doesn't quite paint a whole picture that season. Five fast, nonetheless. This would be the final season for the architect of the 1984 Cubs. Good point. Dallas Green resign at the end of the season. Yeah, really makes it uh, very painful in retrospect to look at it now. But yeah, and his his dynamic manager, Gene Stick Michael. First full season. I remember months into the season was still doing the. You know, I, I, but a lifelong American League guy, I don't really know these players yet. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Of course, Gene, Michael, uh, of course. You it had didn't. this job for part of last year. So right, exactly right. You maybe had, you had all offseason. I don't know. I can, pick up a we can tell you. We can tell you the exact date because we we referenced in '86 that you know the Sun Times made uh, had some fun with the fact that Jim Fry was fired on Friday the 13th, as their headline told us. So from what June fifteenth on, you're right. Like well into he's well into uh, well into his reign by then. That was a weird hire, you know. We not, we have not given Gene Michael any sort of treatment in all of this, but of course he was only around for half of '86. But as a kid, Gene Michael to me was one of these uh, coterie of Yankee managers that were revolving in and out of the manager's seat that George Steinbrenner just kept spinning the wheel. The others being, of course, Billy Martin, most famously, like four, oh, three or four times he was the Yankees manager. I think Bob Lemon had a couple different turns 
pretty sure Michael may have had as many as three. I'm confident he had two different turns. He was kind of the first Yankee manager that I remember at that time. But again, that was fluid. But he, in spite of being fired and rehired, he was you know he was in the front office when Dallas Green went over and selected. It just seemed weird. He was a Yankee player. Uh, Bill Lee, who um, I have spoken very highly of Bill Lee's autobiography. It doesn't hold up that well, but it's still pretty good. Uh, the wrong stuff. He talks about uh, G. Michael fucked up his uh, shoulder in a fight, but he did it in a way that was really not very um, manly. I forget what it was. G. Michael never really struck me as impressive. He was kind of a slight man. He was obviously he was a good enough to be a major league ball player, but he was a Yankee through and through is my point. And so when we finally got tired of Jim Fry and his Coke bottle glasses and the magic of 84 had pretty much evaporated and we were in that lull between the two Dallas green eras, the one the first of which he built a bunch of veterans around and then second, uh, you know, a young, a young team, that low point there, he somewhat mystifyingly uh, just goes across country to New York and, pulls Gene Michael out of that Yankee culture that he'd spent his whole life with. And I think we discussed it before. Like it seemed that that would have been the time to have given John Vukovic the job. And I just never, uh, I just only recently have really given that some thought and it doesn't really square with me that he didn't. It's a really mistake by green. I think is not saying Vukovic would have been the guy, but the alternative certainly sunk a lot of ships. Or they could have given it just skipped Gene altogether and gone to the guy who took over for him. When they fired him, you just give the job to the uh, the fabulous Frank Lucchese. Right, <laughs> I'm sorry. Why Frank had just had just been a manager uh, ten years before in Texas. Well, that's so. Why is it that like, and this is a Dallas Green thing that his two for I mean, two he fired three managers, but two of his like interim managers weren't even like coaches. They were like these old timers that were sitting in the front office. And Charlie Fox yep. replaces Lee Elia. And then Frank Lucchesi, who I learned later, you know, there's you know worlds collide, but I always think of the fact that it just sounds horrifying that Lenny Randall, we talked about because he was the Cubs leadoff man in 1980, his one year at the Cubs. Uh, a, there's a video of Lenny Randall uh, uh, getting thrown a, a pitch under his chin. The very next pitch, he lays down a drag bot, and instead, of, and he had it beat, yeah. but instead of going to first, he blows up the pitcher, going, which is pretty hilarious. But another thing Lenny Randall did was uh, Frank Lucchese, is a much younger man in the late 70s, was talking shit about Lenny to the press, and Lenny in, a, in spring training, and Lenny beat the shit out of him. And then, you know, kind of that was kind of a way of asking for a trade out of town. So, yeah, Frank Lucchesi by 1987, when he comes in after uh, Dallas Green gets rid of the G. Michael experience, uh, whoever, you know, as kids, we're like, who's this guy? Who's this, you know, he's not an old guy, but he was, you know, he was a lifer, just like Charlie Fox was. He was 61 when they hired him, but the picture on baseball reference is when he's managing the Rangers and he was 51 and he looks 80. Well, he looked 80, yeah. So, but hey, when you get a chance to hand the keys over to a guy who already had a career record of uh, 308 and 382 with no division titles or playoff appearances, who uh, had finished in his career, he, he'd guided teams to 5th, 6th, 6th, 3rd, 4th, 
Oh, in second place in uh, nice second place. Well, the Rangers got finished in second place in uh, 1977, but Frank was the first of their four managers that year. Really? Yes. They were managed by Frank Lucchese. He got them to 31 and 31. He got fired. He Eddie, the, Eddie Stanky was an interim. What? And Eddie went one and zero, oh, and then uh, Connie Ryan took over, and he went two and four, and then Billy Hunter became their manager. And they went sixty and thirty-three. And what? They won ninety-four games. I've never heard of this. The seventy-seven Texas Rangers. Yeah. I need to do a deep dive. Somebody must have written or produced something about Billy Somebody Hunter. He only managed two years. He he managed those last ninety-three games of the seventy-seven season, the and then he came hot. back in seventy-eight, yep. and uh, they went eighty-six and seventy-five. But then he got fired. And Pat, he got fired on the last day of the season, and Pat Corrales managed a game. And that, and then Zimmer was in there after Corrales, I think. Well, that, and then yeah. they were bad. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking baseball cards. That's nuts. I never had any inkling that the Texas Rangers, who were basically an expansion team in 1961, they were the second Washington Senators. First being the current Minnesota Twins, I their first postseason appearance I know for a fact wasn't until 1996. They never they were just woeful. You know, being a National League fan, I don't quite have that focus on the you know minutia of lower level American League teams. But holy shit, the Rangers! Not just that they out of the blue finished second, won 94 games, but they just kept rotating through managers. Some guy got white hot, and the next year continued to win. Yet he was over 500 the next season. The seventies, yeah. The seventy-seven Rangers had two Hall of Famers in their rotation. Ooh, let me guess. I pulled him up, but I haven't looked. Was Gaylord Perry on that yep. team? Gaylord Perry. He won fifteen games, and this other guy won fourteen. Another pitcher for the. Yeah. Wow, they had two in the ro- two in the, the rotation, right? Yep. Was Blylevin like Bert having Blylevin, a brief yeah. stop? That was ah. the other. And their other, the rest of the rotation was Doyle Alexander. He won. He, okay. he led him with seventeen wins. Doc Ellis was ten and six with a two ninety ERA. Dropping ass to the left and right. And yep. Nelly Bryles was their other starter. He was six and four. And Bryles. Yeah, we've heard of all of those names. You and I and have. There's a lot of Chicago connections. Um, future Cub Jim Sunberg was their catcher. Future Cub Bump Wills was their second baseman. Wow. Both have been given their due on this uh, podcast. Former White Sox, Claudel Washington was in left. Uh, future. Future. Oh, he hadn't gone there yet. He hadn't fallen asleep. Yeah, Jim, Jimmy Claudel and Harry hadn't gotten on his ass yet. Yeah. Um, let's see. The father, is this right? Yeah, the father of a of a Cub outfielder, Tom Grieve, right? Because he would go on uh, to be their be general the manager. Well, this yes, okay. Two. How about this? Two fathers of future Cub outfielders on the same team. Their right fielder was Dave May, Derek May's dad. <laughs> Derek May and this Tom Grieve like, was on their bench, and this is like Ben's a reunion dad. show of all the previous podcasts that we've done on this. Like, dude, come on down, Derek May. Uh, Wow. Jim Fergosi, future White Sox manager, was their DA. Yep, well, he wasn't really their DA. He only played series. Okay. Uh, let's see, anybody? Any other connections? Uh, that's that's quite a team. I want to I find some more material on the 77 Rangers. I'm not kidding. That's I want to learn about the manager uh, carousel, uh, a team that they would have lost the Royals, I'm guessing. That was when the Royals were taking over that division and emerging. Jim Fry might have been in the organization by then. Bring it back. Um, how about that? Nothing like uh, 
a deep dive on the Texas Rangers of 1977, by the way, to kick it off. But I and apologize for they not. even had the they had the other other Mike Marshall. The other other like yes. not the guy that pitched in 100 games right. in the season not, not or him, the and guy not, that dated not the, Carlisle. Not the Dodger outfield. They had a guy named Mike Marshall uh, from Adrian, Michigan, who played a long time in the big leagues. This is amazing. 14 years in the big leagues. Uh, he was 70 and 67. No, he was 97 and 112. Oh, man. But it's not, it's not that Mike Marshall. Or that no, Mike it is Marshall. that Mike Marshall. I didn't recognize the picture. Okay, there's it's only the, two. Because it okay. gives it away. He Back-to-back years, he pitched 92 games for the Expos and 106 for the Dodgers. So that's the crazy okay. guy who um, thinks pitchers should throw every day. He's dead now, I think. Didn't no. he die recently? He died yes, of he over did. his of overuse. Well, no, he's he was a he is a he's a he's he an exce- he yes. was an exce- he was an ex- he was an eccentric. He died last year in uh, Zephyl in uh, Zephyr Hills, Florida. I almost said Zephyritis. Okay. He died of Zephyritis in still Zephyr the, Hills. He, still the only picture. The picture doesn't to, look that old Expo picture doesn't look anything like the Mike Marshall I remember. But he's still the only picture to ever appeared a uh, hundred game in at least hundred games in a season, right? I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, just to, just to close the door on the well, 77 until, Rangers. Until uh, Rowan Wick does it this year for the Cubs. Thank you. Uh, to close the door on the 77 Rangers, Mike Hargrove, Human Rain Delay, uh, and Bert Campaneras, best known for playing every position in the game or in his career, one of those. But, boy, that is a colorful team. I'm, Juan Benitez also in there. Remember from my, uh, from my baseball cards, Kurt Babacqua, who is a briefly World Series hero in a series in which the Cubs should have played, but we'll talk about that in October. Right, that's enough about the Rangers. Sorry. So the eight, the 87 Cubs, um, I remember we were shocked when we did the 86 Cubs uh, that it was not the swan song for a bunch of 84 Cubs. Right. Like we thought it was. So um, they still, the 87 Cubs still have Jody Davis, Leon Durham, Ryan Sandberg, Keith Moreland, and yeah. and uh, Steve, so no, Steve no, Trout is still around. No no appearances by Sayer Matthews, right? So I was surprised that they were still right. They st- they were on the eighty six team, but not on the eighty seven team at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I don't see him. Just just fact checking. That's all. Um, Steve Trout was an 87 Cub, and I've brought it up several times, and I have to bring it up now just to put it in its place. His last two appearances, you'll see, I'm sure, without I'm going to pull it up, but I know that they were both shutouts because Steve Trout was traded after the second of those two shutouts, and uh, he was traded for, and I only remember, re-remember this now because we rehashed it, but I think Dean Wilkins, Rich Scheid, and uh, Bob Tewksbury, none of whom did anything for the Cubs, one of whom would actually reemerge with the Cardinals and do pretty good. But yeah, Trout still had some value. I mean, his best season was 84, but they dealt him as soon as he threw those back to back shutouts. So, well, sell high. Had a boy, Dallas. Yeah, well, I'd like to see the Cubs do that with Ian Happ now while we're yeah, at it. Yeah, so yeah, with the, he made 11 starts for the Cubs. He was 6 and 3 with a 3 ERA, 3.00. Three complete yeah. games, two shutouts. And um, he pitched 14 games for the Yankees and was 0-4 with a 6.60 ERA. Oof. He then got traded to the Mariners with Henry Cotto. Former teammate. Yep. 
And who'd they get? Oh, oh I ma managed to click away from the page. So that makes it hard to... Uh, let's see. The Yankees, who gave up the haul of rich-eyed Bob Tewksbury and Dean Wilkins, uh, turned it into Lee Guterman, Clay Parker, and Wade Taylor. Don't know any of them. Yankees were in their uh, 80s and uh, Vaguely. You know what? I do, too. Honest to God, I got a Lee Guterman baseball card randomly by a Cubs usher like two years ago. Like They have like some weird inventory of worthless baseball cards that aren't even Cubs, and when they see you with your kid, they'll give you some. Right. I'm pretty sure I got a Lee Guterman card. So, there. Game is, game is due. Dickie Knowles was still on the 87 Cubs. I'm impressed. I just I just pulled him up myself. Happened to notice that. Wasn't this the big year where he got traded for himself? Dickie Knowles also, like Phil Nevin and Greg Maddox, got traded for himself? Or, wait, that's something else. He got traded for himself. He got traded for didn't himself. Trade All him, right. Yes. Trade himself. And September 21st, 1987, Dickie Knowles was traded to the Tigers for a player to be named later. On October 23rd, 1987, the Tigers named the player, and it was Dickie Knowles. Incredible. Sent him right back. That, it's not the only time that's happened, has it? Is it? Probably not. I don't know. But I, I don't know that I ever knew that. It's I must of, have at some point. The Cubs were so enamored of getting Dickie back that um, 17 days later, they cut him. Wow. Poor guy. Yeah, I wouldn't have Enough guessed to drive that. Him to drink. Uh, oh, too late. No, it was actually, yeah, that was a little bit earlier. I don't think that trade helped, though. You're right. No, um, it doesn't do a lot for his self-esteem. Well, I'm sorry. Dickie actually was gone after 84 to Texas and then to Cleveland. Yeah, he'd come back. And then, so, okay. Yeah, I have no recollection of uh, the Dickie Knowles return. It's sad. The only two things I know about Dickie is that he was an alcoholic and that he got traded for himself. The third one is that he uh, was in the middle, found himself in the middle of controversy in the Dallas Green Jim Fry World Series of 1980 when he threw high and tight to George Brett. Oh. So that might be out there somewhere. Um, and also, of course, uh, well, let's close the book on Dickie Knowles by just pointing out that he was you know, one of a, just a veritable bevy of Philly players and prospects that Dallas Green just sort of swept into the Cubs organization which you can't fault him with considering the results in 84. So not that Dickie had much to do with the 84 team success. Uh, Bobby Dernier was still a cub. Yeah, but not getting 125 starts a year like Rick Monday would in the seventies. No, he wouldn't. He got, he played in 93 games. He hit 317 with a 379 on base and a 497 slug. Bobby Dernier posted an 876 OPS. He had eight home runs, wow. 21 RBIs, stole 16 bases. Uh, so what do you do? Keep can I, like, uh, ripping his hamstrings off his leg? Why did he only play 92 games? Can I remember some crap? Sure, that's what we're here for. Pretty sure that Bobby Dernier in 87, I'm going to find it, hit a walk-off. We didn't call it a walk-off, uh, kids, in 1987. Um, but hit a walk-off home run off of, and I'm pretty sure it was Cincinnati, not New York, reliever. Here it is. I'm going to find it Thursday, May 21st. John Franco. Wow. Apropos of nothing, but I found a game, and God damn it, I'm going to make sure that uh, that we're aware of this otherwise mundane, pointless game. But sure enough, the game in which the, Lee Smith blew, blew the lead at the top of the ninth by giving up two runs. So I guess he just blew the 
who the they had a two run lead to it. But yep, Bob Dernier, home run off of John Franco. I feel like I should Cubs win. Well, yeah, walk off. Um, Cubs win. They're twenty four and fifteen at that point. By the way, Cubs got off a good start. That was Stick Michael had him rolling. Great job, great job by Dallas to hire him. Um, so I feel like I, I, I'm relatively well acquainted with the 87 Cubs because so many of them were a huge part of, I don't know if you saw it this week. Did you see, remember this crap print edition in the newsletter? Since you haven't been talking about it, I have a feeling you didn't see it at the end of Monday's newsletter. Um, the Cubs had a longtime employee die. Oh, I got to look it up because I want to get her name right. Yep. Um, that was in this. I one. think I did miss this, but I did see a reference to. Uh... Yes, her name uh, was Arlene Gill. She worked there. For, yep. She worked for the Cubs for forty years, and they posted a picture to go with it of her and a very shit-eating granny, Jim Fry, and traveling secretary Pete Durso, not assistant to the traveling secretary, the actual traveling secretary. But the part of the picture that I was most intrigued by is that on a chalkboard behind them, they had uh, the Cubs' 40-man roster written on the chalkboard with uh, names erased and names added to it. And I set out to pinpoint the date that that 40-man roster would have been accurate. And I got... I figured out what? It was, and I figured out it was the off-season... Uh, because of uh, a trade that had happened and a trade that hadn't happened yet. So it had to fall between two dates. Uh, okay. So let's see. Um, what trade hadn't happened yet? I found a story about Jody Davis that I didn't know. Um, he got traded to the Braves. On we se- talked about this. We did on very- September 29th. Yeah, the penultimate day of the season yeah. or something. But I didn't know he said this. He had actually found the quote. Alan Solomon in the Tribune. You know who Alan Solomon's wife is? Yes, Carrie Musket. Carrie Musket. Um, he quoted Jody. I think they took a step backward when they got Jim Fry. I get along with Don Zimmer all right. He's up, he's up front with me. I just don't think Jim Fry knows what he's doing. Wow. Jody wasn't wrong. Wait, but that's in 88, by the way. Yes, yeah, Jim Fry's first That was, first that was year. the next year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of 87 Cubs that are still on that chalkboard. Um, so I was oh, I'm looking at it now. All right, I pulled it up. Frank DePino, Goose yep. Gossage. Why are they smiling with those names? Drew Hall, Mike Harkey, Les Lancaster, Greg Maddox. You know, you, know, you, know, you see those two names that are erased? This is great. We're talking about this. People are trying to picture it. That's great. So there's a, right. the pictures of the far left-hand column, and the, there's Mike Balecki, and then there's a name that's erased, and then there's Frank Tapino, And then on the far right is um, Under the there, Jackson, and, and the between Darren Jackson and, and the great Jerry Mumphrey, there's, uh, and I figured out who the two names are. Oh, Palmero and Jamie Moyer, right? No. No, no. I don't know. No, they're what in alphabetical order. So it's Mike oh. Capel and Dave Martinez. And I'm oh, like, well, that's ridiculous because the Dave Martinez got traded months before then. But if you look, all they did was they wrote because Mitch Webster's name started was the yeah. last in the order. Yeah. The poor intern yeah. is like, I am not rewriting this whole fucking list. So oh, he just wrote Webster at the bottom and left the gap. 
Uh, but I, the key was that the um, it wasn't even that uh, Rangers trade because that didn't happen. Oh, I think it was the Rangers trade. It had to happen. Well, that was like in the off season between eighty eight and eighty nine. Yeah. So we're yeah. Um, so it had to happen. <laughs> That's great. It had to happen on a fifty day period between October fifteenth and December fifth. Um, oh, and the key to it was Bob Tewksbury. Bob Tewksbury and Bill Landrum, they were both released on October 15th. And um, they are not on the board. And then the trade on the 5th uh, was the... Um, that was the Rangers trade. Okay. And I even pointed out, you know, we talked about Fry, how he fucked up. He traded Lee Smith because he thought he was lazy and washed and up. Then he co- and, and then, then he, he compounded the mistake. It. So how about mm-hmm. this? So on the 15th, they released those two pitchers. They released Tewksbury, who went on to win 60 games for the uh, Cardinals in five years. And they released Bill Landrum. And you're like, oh, big deal. They released Bill Landrum. The two years that Mitch was the Cubs' closer, Bill Landrum Mm -hmm. was the closer for the Pirates. The first year, he saved 26 games. He had an ERA of 1.67. And the second year, he had an ERA of 2.13. So if all Fry had done was just leave Bill Landrum on his team, he could have kept Rafael Palmero. But he was definitely of course, chasing. There were other extenuating circumstances that may have well, absolutely. Rafael and Dave Martinez both being traded. Yep. Yep. But here they are, this nineteen eighty seven, and we get um we get Palmero's debut and it's uh Davey Martinez's well, first full technically season. his debut was his Oh did uh, they both start in eighty six? Okay, no, so Martinez came up in eighty seven. I was impressed when he first came up too. I like I didn't know where he came from. Yeah, they both had a cup of coffee in eighty six. Um but Palmero was only up for half the season in, in eighty seven. Dave played the whole season. He did. And we look when I looked it up, uh, I think on last week's or whatever we or some adjacent whatever uh rabbit hole we went down. I was amazed at what a statistical fine season uh, statistically that, that Martinez had because I don't remember thinking he was really that good at the time, but he, the, the numbers would suggest he was. It was our center fielder, maybe. This was a – think about – the Cubs were – the Cubs had an embarrassment of riches in center field that year. Well, because three. we already we, – well, yeah, three guys. We But we just read – Jernier's stats in half a season. He had a great year. Martinez, Dave had a 370 on base, 372 in 142 games. And then Jerry freaking Mumphrey probably should have been the National League MVP. He slashed 333 with a 400 on base and a 534 slugging. Christ. In 118 games. How do you, he got screwed. Who was the MVP that year? Oh, I, that's, that's right. what I'm trying to figure out. It was Andre. Oh, Sandra, oh duh. Hello. Well, that's otherwise yeah, Mumphrey. That's so did the Cubs did they finish one two? Right. I'm sure they did. Right. It was like the MVP equivalent of uh, of Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith. I guess that's probably a good segue. What an outfield yeah, they had! Holy shit! It might have been the greatest outfield in Cub history that year. Let's look at the MVP could've, voting. Could have been. Andre won easily. Um, 269 votes. Ozzy Smith, only 193. He finished second. Ozzy Smith, he, Ozzie second, Jack Clark, second. third. Then Tim Wallach. Then Rafael Palmeiro's former college well, part, teammate, Will part, Clark. Part, part of the reason that uh, 
that an MVP from a last place team won is because that is a really weak ass year. It had to have been. I mean, if yeah. Ozzy's your runner up and Tim Wallach and uh, who is between Wallach and Ozzy, I already Jack Clark. I really top five. I mean, Jack Clark was a good hitter for a few years. That's just a weird. You know, '87 was the year of the rabbit ball too. Like home runs were inflated from '86 and it went back down in '88. Um, there was a lot of shit. There were like quotes in Sports Illustrated about a rabbit ball. I don't see Mark, uh, Mark I don't, I don't see Jerry Mumphrey on this list. Oh, that doesn't seem fair. For MVP, yeah. you're still trying to get, give Jerry Mumphrey his due. That somebody listen to this. Uh, how many first place votes? Oh, it doesn't show how many first place votes. Tony Gwynn. He he got uh, he finished eighth, and all he did was uh, he hit three seventy. Big deal. Do that today, you might be winning. Three seventy. How about this for Gwen? Three seventy, four forty-seven, five eleven. No, well, he never hit any. Home, never hit any homers. Seven homers. So did Jack Clark? Eighteen hits. Jack Clark must have hit forty homers because it was the year 35. of the home run. So that's it. He led the Maybe league. In, he led him. the league in on base and slugging. Okay. He oh, had, all right. Actually, Jack right. Clark he had a fine season. He though. hit. He hit two eighty-six with a four fifty-nine on base and a five ninety-seven slugging. His OPS. Wow. Uh, Andres was 896 and Jack Clark's was 1.055 over one po- over on a first place yeah. team as opposed to Andre who right. 49 over 137 RBI. Now in fairness and we'll I will get to it and give it its due but it was an unusual season in which there were no except for the Pirates I think shitty teams in the NL East the Cubs competed. I mean, I just yeah. talked about their nearest walk-off against Franco. They're 29 and 15. They were playing well. And I want to say there were three 90-win teams in that division that year. And I want to say that come Labor Day, the Cubs were either 500 or were like within like eight games of first place or something. It never felt like they were in a pennant race. Don't worry. I'm not, you know, I don't think we ever there were too many teams in front of them. But you know, it was it was it's just an odd season all around. Cubs were in first place on May 19th. And they finished 19 and a half out. I think a lot about uh, April and May, too. Just with the arrival of Dawson, there was so much anticipation. I mean, it's a weird thing. We were already been sort of, you know, had a taste of awesomeness in 84 with the team. But there was that lull. And then we get Dawson on the cheap. And he got off to a slow start. But then he started doing shit like, I want to see it five hits in the game in April or May against the Giants. I think he hit for the cycle which it only took six years before Mark Grace was at the next one, and we still haven't had one since then. But uh, I just, yeah, I just, I always think uh, early on um, just the, the excitement that Dawson started producing after the first few weeks. He never really stopped. And the team was better than I remember, but they, yeah, they were competitive. Yeah, they won 75 games. I mean, the, the team right now is going to finish third, and they're not going to sniff 75 wins. Yeah. So it's kind of bad luck. He also, Dawson also in April or May, once he started heating up, I'm pretty sure all these things happened. Yeah, I think he had a five-hit game. He hit for the cycle all around the same period. Could have been the same goddamn game. But he also threw out a a, 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 a base a batter at first base. Yep. Uh, it was a pitcher, Kelly Downs of the Giants. I think in that series, I think if, I have a feeling if you just hone in on that otherwise meaningless uh, early season series that Dawson just started to tear it up, but he he did get off to a kind of a slowish start, and then he um well 
Not really. He hit 296 with a 360 on base and a 605 slugging in April. Okay. Six homers. So I'm just, well, maybe I'm just really gonna, early. I guess, yeah. Well, opening day, his very yeah, first plate appearance. <laughs> his very first plate appearance, the bases were loaded, nobody was out. And Brett Musburger was in the booth because I stayed home from school because at that point, George, I'm going to watch opening day. There was no. <laughs> There was no Irv Cross was and his great. oddly parted cropped after. Yeah. Um, he, uh, there was a lot of anticipation. It was exciting because Brent, you know, spent time in Chicago. He was, he was at the peak of his, I mean, he's been on the scene for 50 years, but he was really like the guy and he gets the opening day assignment. Cause as I said, here he had a, a stroke in the off season and in the, and and uh, Kelly Dwyer's favorite player, Jim Lindemann, was making his uh, a debut in right field, Maine West's finest for the Cardinals. But in the bottom of the first inning of opening day, somehow the bases got loaded for Dawson's first uh, plate appearance, and he like hit like a like a, a, a tap, you know. And it was, but yeah, so that left an impression. But you're right. Well, I guess within short order, if you're going to win the MVP, you can't really have a totally shitty April. But there's the, the the Giants series that I kind of remember. There were like a game or two in there where it was just like, hey, Andre Dawson hit a home run. Hey, Andre Dawson hit five hits. Hey, Dawson hit for the cycle. Hey, Dawson threw a guy out at first base. And there was like, man, we were excited about this guy. But shit, we didn't know he was this. Like, we did, but we didn't expect it, I should say. We didn't expect this. Like, we hoped for it. He was awesome from day one, I guess. I mean, not because I was splitting hairs. He didn't have a great opening day. But he after, was after 12 up. games on April 21st, he was hitting 167, 231, okay. 213. That's it. Two weeks. That's only 10 games, 10, 12 games yet. So. And then, boom, bring on the Giants. I just re-associated a weekday series against them where it's like he heated up and he never, never cooled off. And his first at bat as a Cub against John Tudor. Uh, the Cubs, our nev- our Bob Dernier had singled. Ryan Sandberg had doubled. Dernier went to third. Dawson actually drove in a run. He did, but yep. not the way you'd hope. He uh, ground ball to Tommy Her that Tommy kicked. Yeah. And uh, that's what it was. It could it should have been double play. I think. So he didn't get an RBI, but he but you know, like run. it was kind of incredible that his first at bat was that right. Like comes up bases loaded. So how are you got the guy? Met the moment so many times for this team that season. He just didn't do it the first time. The Cubs he totally met the moment. The Cubs lit up John Tudor. Well, that's well, good. I don't remember that. I mean, they got eight hits in five innings. So scarred, so scarred by him. And he they lost the game, though, right? Yes. He, he only lasted five innings. He had eight hits and three runs. Bill Dawley pitched the last four. I got to save. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe shit the bet. He was uh, two and two-thirds. He gave up five earned runs and seven walks. He had a Ryan Dempster. No strikeouts. But Sutcliffe would himself, like Andre Dawson, rally and all almost join Dawson yeah. on the podium when he lost one of the closest uh, Cy Young votes ever, and in retrospect has been considered one of the most egregious, egregiously misawarded Cy Youngs to Steve Bedrosian. So, yeah. So Weird. Andre Dawson, month by month, he hit six homers, twenty RBIs in April, eight homers, twenty-one RBIs in May. Six homers, 23 RBIs in June. Eight homers, 23 RBIs in July. 15 homers, 28 RBIs in August. And six and 22 in September. Yeah, I was at one of those August games where he tied a game in the ninth. I think off of Bedrosian, too, believe it or not. And they, I think they won it. 
he had a few game tying homers after the seventh inning. He, I don't know if he had what would, would we would have called walk offs then. Pretty sure he. It, it was just a like a. I, I can't even really describe what it was like. He uh, he was just he just kept delivering. I, I mean I know that's not. I can't even I can't even do it justice. It, or, or you know I'm verklempt. Here's here's some trivia for you. Who was Andre Dawson's first agent? He's from Florida, and this guy would be best known as a member of the Dolphins' undefeated Super Bowl team. His first agent. His first agent. Well, certainly not Mercury Morris. No, probably not. Uh, probably not Garo Yapremian either. Was it Nick Bonacati between mm-hmm. cuts of? Uh, it That's was exactly who it was. It was Nick. Jesus Bonacotti. Christ. By the way, moment of silence for the recently deceased Len Dawson, yep. Nick Bonacotti's uh, partner inside the NFL. Holy shit! Well, good for him. He was a Notre Dame guy, right? I mean, so probably smart guy. He had a law degree, or he's just being an agent out there. Huh? I mean, I would think he was still crazy playing, right? Nick Bonacotti was playing football when Andre Dawson was a rookie in '77. Could have been. I mean, we gotta look this up now. Uh, yeah. He played because he played forever. I thought, although maybe he was old. By the way, uh, the and, and, and just to correct my memory, in the first game of this uh, much ballyhooed uh, early season cold uh, midweek April series against the Giants, Andre Dawson actually went 0 for 4. So must have been the second third game in which he busted out. Yeah, so, 5 for 5 in the second game. It's, right, go ahead. It's, it's, yeah, he was playing. Yeah, but he's last, Nick played, um, he played for the, Patriots from 62 to 68, played from the Dolphins from 69 to 74, but came back and, and played in 76. And that would have been... So he had a career that spanned from 62 to 76? Yeah, I knew he played forever. I didn't know that. Wow. Nick Bunakai. Wow. Who knew? Well, these baseball yeah, reference so... pages are full of all kinds of little nuggets. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, just to recap. Who would you rather have as your agent, recap. Nick Bonacani or Roquan Smith's mom? <laughs> or Roquan Smith. Or Roquan Smith. <laughs> yeah, it was mostly the second game of this series where Dawson went five for five. It was clearly the, the game in which he also hit for the cycle. He did go two for four in the finale, and in one of those three games had an assist. So we can move on. This we can was, move on to the game. Go I was going to say, this was famously the uh, Andre, the uh, blank check season. It was, yeah. He, Maybe people don't know, because there are some younger kids that do listen, I know, just for your edification. Uh, this was the uh, the season of d- uh, collusion, collusion, I guess you could say, right? Yes. Like yeah. Tim Raines like, wasn't able to play his first game for the Expos that year till May, and that's because he had to go slinking back. And there were a whole bunch of players that didn't sign, but they were they were locked out because of the, you know, however it was structured. There were no big free agent signings going into the 87 season. Andre Dawson was a free agent. The Cubs had, I don't know, like, other than early, Dallas Green's early tenure, I mean, they never really signed huge free agents. Like the, I mean, Dawson was at the peak of his career in spite of all of his knee injuries like a Dan Hampton and uh, the market just, the price came down. Like the Cubs were not going to commit to it. Tribune company wouldn't let green do it. 
I think Green was already a little bit on the hot seat, as would be evidenced. And but then the price came down, and then famously Dawson wanted to be a Cub is the other part of it. You know, he was playing on that parking lot in Olympic Stadium that was painted green, and you know he liked the idea of playing in the sun. Cubs still didn't have lights in '87, playing on the grass, so he kind of gave up his hand a little bit, and you know a little bit, I guess, because ultimately it ends up in, as you said, blank check. He's he's basically stalking the Cubs and spring training he doesn't have a team yet a lot of players don't have teams yet i mentioned tim Raines. i can't think of some others but i'm sure we can find it and uh he and his agent were you know just stalking dallas green outside of ho-ho cam and eventually uh the proposal was a blank check that was given to the cubs and they just had to fill it in so he had he had been offered a two-year two million dollars a million dollar year contract by the expos to stay he turned it down thinking I'm going to do better than that. And you're right. He's in spring training and he doesn't have any offers. He's not doing better than that. And the, the contract the Cubs gave him only guaranteed him $500,000 for one year. And he would make $650,000 by just staying off the disabled list before the all-star break. He could go on the all-star in the second half, but it had, um, incentives. It had incentives to stay healthy. Um, and he, he cashed in after the season um, he signed a three-year, six million dollar contract with the Cubs. But look what he had to do to earn that. Yeah. It seems he said when the you know, MVP hit forty-nine over one hundred thirty-seven runs for his dog shit last place. <laughs> just being credible. Um, it's just a, it's really an incredible season. So if you look at his his career, now famously the the yeah, like you said, the turf in Montreal had worn his knees down to a fine dust, and in '86 um, he had. Uh, he was okay. Uh, he played in 130 games. He had 20 homers, 78 RBIs, 284, 333, 478. Um, but he was well down from his peak. He was an all-star from 81 to 83 with the Expos. Um, Do you know if the Expos moved him to right? They did at some point. He, he was a because he was a center fielder for the Expos in those years that you're, you just referenced. 81. I'm pretty sure he was. Because Valentine had the cannon in right, and I think Cromarty was their left yeah, he fielder. Moved to, he moved to right field outfield. in 84. Okay, that's it. He would still play center in the All-Star game when he was a Cub. Yeah, for the Cubs, that's right. We, we we hashed that at Wrigley Field, I believe, too, in fact. Maybe not. I mean, he was an All-Star at least three times with the Cubs, four probably. Probably got voted in every pride. But he, um, he had won Rookie of the Year in 77. Mm-hmm. He won gold gloves in 80, 81, center field. 82, center field. 83, 84, and 85. Wow. Like Kenny Lofton. He won two I mean, more. I'm sorry. He won, he Ken Griffey. He'd win two more for the Cubs. He won silver sluggers in 80, 81, 80, and 83. And then he won one of those for the Cubs, obviously, his MVP year. So he had the finished, guys the- he had finished second in the MVP voting twice. Before eighty seven, eighty one, he finished behind Mike Schmidt. Yep, and, and then Dale Murphy. One of those other years, yeah, eighty three would have been Dale, right? Yeah, or eighty two and eighty three for Dale. Yeah, 80, back 80, to back, back to back. Yeah, but he was Andre was eighty three. That's Dale. No, I mean he finished second. That he right. he, finished he finished second in eighty one and eighty three. Right to Schmidt, to Schmidt and Murphy respected. Right, but Schmidt won back to back, and then Murphy won back to back, and then Sandberg won it. So, 
Um, all right, so I, I he won a gold glove and a silver slugger playing center field in 81, 80, 81, 82. I think that pretty much makes you one of the, automatically one of the, like the probably the six best players in the game. If you're winning the gold glove in center field, which is pretty much outside of the battery, the f- second, sometimes first most important defensive position. I mean, shortstop, it depends on, you know, a few factors, but so he's winning gold gloves in center field and he's winning silver sluggers in center field. That doesn't probably happen. Well, and when he, when he retired, he was one of only three players in history that had more than 500 doubles, 400 homers and 300 stolen bases. And it was, uh, Willie Mays. Willie Mays was one. Yep. It was a Bobby Bonds and Brian Dayette. I think it was, it was Kevin Roberson. Yeah. So elite company got him in the hall of fame. Yeah. You know, Hank Aaron, of, I believe it was Hank. Aaron. Well, just like one of those experiences where like when I first time I saw Pulp Fiction after everyone talked it up and that was like, it was like, there's no way it's going to be as good as you guys are talking about. It was like the anticipation for Dawson. It's, it's amazing to think that it actually exceeded the expectation because we were pumped. Yeah. Felt bad for him, maybe he signs that low ball contract because the owners colluded. Uh, but it was like shit. I mean, because he was, you just outlined it. He was obviously one of the best goddamn players in baseball. Anybody with a pulse could re- recognize that. And he's our right fielder. Not, you know, no offense to Keith. You know, he's one of my guys, Keith Moreland. We'll talk about 84. Got to push. And, you know, Zot tried his hardest, moved over to third base. And holy shit, we got Andre Dawson. And then he delivered. Frankly, way above and beyond what we would have even, you know, realistically hoped. It's just, like I said, I, I get verklempt when I think about it. It really was kind of an amazing thing to, to witness in real time. Yeah, he was, a, he'd been all star three times in Montreal in 12 years. With the, in six years with the Cubs, he was an all star five times. I can't believe it was only three times. He's one of, probably because he was too hurt around the all star game. Nobody even knew, nobody oh. even knew that they had a team. Bullshit. And then he comes That's down. That's true. Then he I'm comes gonna, down and he's br- playing on WGN every day. And- I'm going to head now. I will challenge that, and I have to bring my brother-in-law, whom you've met at the golf outing, on. He will challenge that because the Expos actually drew quite well when they had those. No, teams. I know they were very popular in Montreal and in, in, in the. In oh, the- I, you're saying for the All Star for yeah. like no in, national in, recognition in real so- North, in real North America, the middle part. They had so no the idea sport- who so that, the- they spoke French and they smoked cigarettes all the time. And- Nobody right. knew what the fuck was going on up there. They don't have deodorant, but yeah, but the they got the outfield so, distances are in meters. You know, you, right, you don't so understand the, any of it. They got you how got many meters did he hit that one, Harry? Well, I don't know. Jesus Christ, I didn't know there was going to be mass. So, so sports writers gave him his due. Fans wouldn't vote him in to start, but then uh, then he should have still made some of those teams as a as a as yeah. You would I mean he's one three of a bench player. He really he, I think the his. His knees basically felt. We talked about the '89 podcast. His knees had fallen off for the by the end of the season, so he was shell of himself in that postseason. Correct. Um, but he had, um, he bounced back in '90. He, he did. We he discovered that he always '91, 31 homers, 140 RBIs. His last year with the Cubs, when they couldn't get 91. rid of him fast enough, uh, he hit 22 homers and drove in 90 runs. It wasn't yeah. exactly on his. He was on his last legs, but he was still hitting. 
his rate he was literally on his last his rate stats were you know dwindling but he still had power and he stayed healthy enough too which is impressive so um yeah overall very he he, he is he a cub hall of famer do we remember do we have to I mean, we kind of i don't know how they're it's probably not even worth discussing because the Ricketts don't even know how to roll that out but i don't think he that, is that's a cub hall of fame career i think he was supposed i think um, it's only five seasons, though. But we talked about. God, I can't remember. Right, Mark Gonzalez and I talked about this, right? About how everybody thought this was the year they were going to catch up, and this was yes. like the year that the '80s Cubs went in, and guys like right. Andre would have gone in, and they around dicked with around with. They give Pat Hughes and Jose, Jose Cardinal. Cardinal and Buck O'Neill, which is fine to put those three in, but there should be like seven other guys that go in with them. What I don't they, understand why. I don't get what they're doing. Yeah, Poor little spreading weird shut-in Ed Hardig is over there with his list. I don't know. I think this, these are the guys. Right. <laughs> but Dawson at some point will get it. He's already a Hall of Famer. Is Marla Collins in? I don't know. Is Yosh well, in, actually. We yeah, Yosh is in. Yeah. Marla might have been too short of a tenure. Or a shorts. She certainly was. Harry made sure she was famous. We oh knew, boy! We knew, yeah, we knew who Marla Collins was. We'll have to do uh, a roll-up uh, of crap we forgot because I think when she was fired, I was at the first game she wasn't at. I'll just tell it now. It's my buddy Dave. We're only eleven years old, but I don't know if our parents—I don't know how, who else was with us. We were sitting there, and we noticed Marla was not there. And then he made a stupid eleven-year-old kid joke about, "Wouldn't it be funny if she ran across the outfield naked?" And then literally, the guy in front of us said, "She got fired this morning because she was in Playboy." Like what? <laughs> what year was that? That was eighty two. I'm pretty sure it was eighty three. Because eighty two, she was ushered in. She comes in with the whole everything with Dallas Green is new, right? Tribune new. Everything is like new broadcaster and Harry, new farm system. We got Bump Will. We got all everything's new. Marla County. That was all eighty two and what, I, uh, So she did less than two full seasons. What year did the Honey Bears get whacked? It, it was Super Bowl. Superdome was their last game. Yeah, eighty five. Oh, I just wondered if maybe uh, Vag. Was like going around and, you know, well, taking care of business, calling in, well, calling she, in old accounts. Well, she, I was thinking no she more hussies. Been, she and she would have been shaking her head when the Cubs were forced to fire Marla because she's like, see, this is what could happen. Well, yeah, because she walked in. And George, George was, you know, <laughs> to George that got the magazine all the way open. <laughs> Georgie, what are you looking? Mom, at? doesn't anybody knock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> funny because it's true george is a renowned chronic masturbator i mean we just got to tell no, him like just the no according to the record just a longtime subscriber of playboy <laughs> that's right for the article used to write well he wrote it he wrote letters he also wrote them to penthouse too <laughs> i didn't think it would happen to me i was in the equipment room <laughs> well i'm just glad i got and a woman's car broke down yes and she, she came in and needed assistance. Cubby blue pinstripes, and uh, <laughs> she she had a yeah a bucket of balls. Uh, yeah, so I at least I, I, told, I at least and, I, I told, and normally I, told, I was the one who rubbed the balls. But this I told time, you this. So I told the story the for a second. I was at the game when Marla Collins uh, was. Was first not there, but yeah, within short order, within less than two years, Harry made her a local celebrity. He did. She was, you know, a very attractive young lass who had to be, you know, she was very athletic. She got, 
you know, kept kept the field clear, and Harry made sure it didn't go unnoticed. But uh, long gone by 1987. I was hoping that there would be a list of I don't know if I could spell of celebrities who filled in for Harry Carey in 1987. I would love that. By the way, the Brett Musburger game is not on YouTube. What is is the second game of the season, which was our household favorite growing up, Mike Royko. However, much as my family loved Mike Royko, and I will, you know, I'm a huge Royko fan. I tweet anything that's related to him. I devoured him as a kid. I own all his books. He was absolute poet laureate of Chicago for the last half of the 20th century. However, whether it was election night when he was on Channel 2 or doing this Cubs game, I remember my parents always criticized him. He was always not good on TV, and he did not do a good job. Uh, I think I referenced that because George Will, actually, who many saw as sort of a, a ba- counterbalance to you know Royko, he was national, yeah. but he was conservative, uh, Was did his homework and did an excellent broadcast with Steve Stone in Philadelphia later that season. So is that George Will was one. Uh, I, I'll go off the top of my head. I can tell you guys I know who did it. Royko did game two, but Bill Musburger started it. Bill Murray was the legendary one. John Belushi did a game in San Diego. Um, I mean, Gary Bender, future Bears broadcaster, uh, did a game. Um, oh, boy, I'm running out of them already. George, there were a lot. because George Wentz did a game. George Wentz did a game with not John Ratzenberger. But holy shit, the guy from not necessarily the news who looked like John Ratzenberger. Who the hell is that guy with the mustache? Danny something. Um, Danny Breen. Uh, but those are both in Philadelphia. There was uh, the George Will game and the and the George Went game were both in Philadelphia. Yeah, because Cheers was at its peak, so George Went locally famous and and nationally famous. Uh, had to be a lot. It was a lot of them because Harry didn't come back till like the second or third week of May. So there were. You know, and I don't think there are too many games of the week. There might have been a few, but you're talking basically at least at minimum 30 games. So I'm out of them now. Uh, you know, I mean, I thought I'd be able to rattle off more. I really thought somebody'd have a list. Doesn't uh, didn't Casey Ignarski doesn't have a list on his? That sounds like something Casey would do. He's got some pretty good old videos, and he keeps tracks of uniform numbers, but. Um, gosh, Fred now, Mitchell no, broke no. the broke the story on March twenty second that the WG as a WGN may rotate celebrities while Harry and Eels. I believe that also may be a, a project we would have uh, Cubs marketing guru burgeoning guru John McDonough's hands over that too. I think he might have been involved. It's similar to the seventh inning stretch conductor they do at the ballpark. It was same same spirit of that idea. So he had a uh, Fred had a list of. Uh, Celebrities the Cubs had contacted. Okay, run them off. I'll tell you if they did a game. Uh, Pat Summerall. I don't think so. Ernie Harwell. Don't or think Ernie so because he had his Tigers. He has Tigers broadcast. Dick Enberg. I think so. I think Enberg may have done it. Jack- Although Enberg, Enberg had a day job. Well, yeah, but he was national then. I'm sure he could get a day off to go. Okay. Right. Jack Pat Buck. Used him. I may have. Jack may have like like skipped the Cardinals. Bob Gibson. Know. Why the why? Don't th- don't don't think so. Stan Musial. Nope. Bill Murray. Yes, of course. George famously. Will. George yes. Will. Yes. David Letterman. No, I'd be I'd, be, I'd remember that. Mary Frances Vec. Nope. Uh, that's all they got. Okay. They didn't mention Jim Belushi. It was a game in San Diego for Belushi. Oh, it was Jim Belushi. God. 
Yeah. Was Not John well, dead? John was dead. Oh, yeah. John had been dead for six years. Yeah. So that's no. So he probably didn't do one then. So uh, that would have been a story. That would have been, yeah. It would have. It would have really gotten a lot of attention. God, I, I'm frustrated that I can't. I guess I stopped ruminating about it through the years because I remember one point in my own head, kind of keeping track. Because I remember that Philadelphia series. George Will did one game, and then George went to another, both in Philadelphia. Now the the Bill Murray one is good, and it's one of the, you know, even though Marquis supposedly has the vault and they can play any game they ever want from the GN years or whatever, they 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 play like eight of them, and one of them is the Bill Murray game. Um, the umpires, they're playing the Expos, right? There are like the a umpires, couple excite The umpires' yes. uniforms didn't show there's up. There's a lot. There's, and stuff. You know what? There's a lot of shit going on. That is one of them. The Eric Gregg, of course, always seems to show up here. Uh, he was one of the umpires, and, and he gets mocked rightfully yeah. and appropriately by Bill Murray. I think there are like a couple excised. Or the one major one on YouTube you can find is not the full game, but there's enough. There's absolutely enough that it's worth. Uh, but you're right. The umpires were messed up, and a few other things. I th- the the one thing I will tell you is that, believe it or not, it was a Friday game, and I did not get this. Well, even if I wasn't in school, I did not. And I wasn't, but I did not get to see the bill. Or see, it was Good Friday actually, because Easter Sunday was two days later. But I had my my point is I happened to be at that game. I was in the bleachers. My sister took me, and she was an undergrad at Loyola. And all I remember about being at the game that Bill Murray broadcast was that she happened to uh, stumble across in the bleachers a lot of her sorority sisters, and one of them was a little tipsy early on when the announcer said that leading off for the Expos was Casey Candell. She said, why can't you tell? True story. Casey can't tell. Casey can't tell. Uh, and then I like, I regretted it. I'm like, I love going to Cubs games. I went to as many as I could that, you know, I'm like, that's the one game I wish I had stayed home and watched. Because when I got home, I remember it was even on CNN headline news. Bill Murray does a Cubs game. And they there's a highlight of, like, Tim Wallach going to the dugout to get a pop-up. And Murray's like, fall in, fall in, fall. Because Tim Wallach, I don't think we've ever mentioned it in this podcast. Might as well mention it now because we're done with the 80s. Notorious Cub killer. And Bill Murray knew that. So. One of the, uh, he yells at one of the expos, hey, do you still beat your wife? Yeah. Not, his mom, <laughs> not a joke you could uh and did his mom come up to the booth and of course he's just mocking her from she was sober but he's like you know pretending she's lit up mom what is that on your breath you know i mean <laughs> the uh the underrated one though is he did a long stint in the first night game you, te- you mentioned you, and, you went into some detail, and about it, it helps that Harry's there. Harry loves Harry's, you know, and that's the thing. Harry wasn't is. there, Harry so it was left us. Harry was asked left him how his in '87 to be the straight man, right? And he plugs. Is that the one where he plugs Scrooged? Maybe that's a different well, step. It's a different. Scrooge came visit. out in '89, but Harry's like, ah, sounds like it's going to be hilarious. Well, he, <laughs> Scrooge came out in '89. He probably did. So I bet you he did. That could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess what he's working on. No, That's but you're really right. Funny. He was because Bill he was feel, in the booth a lot with Harry. Yeah, and, well, and they but loved they, to be there together, and it was always fun. Right, but oddly enough, the Harry Carey game was Stoney having to right. you know, sort of perfect being the straight man, which of course was really in his wheelhouse because he was still really a little bit more of a closed off nerd than he would be you know, before he got bold. Um, you know what Cubs game I wasn't at? Or here's another way to phrase it: You know how I know Andy that. Mel Brooks's Spaceballs came out in 
Oh, because you skipped a cow game to go see Spaceballs? Well, I didn't just skip a cow. I just happened to go to Spaceballs because it was early July, and the Cubs were playing the Padres, and my friend, who was a White Sox fan, his dad took us to Woodfield. We see Spaceballs, laugh our asses off. Thought it was one of the funniest things ever. His dad picks us up, and he tells us that Andre Dawson got beamed in the face and uh, and basically tried to try to attack Eric Shaw, the pitcher. It was kind of terrifying to hear him. And then, you know, that was all the news that day. So that's something that weird, that weird season overall, we've already established that, but in the midst of Andre Dawson's uh, just incredibly thrillingly entertaining uh, season, he uh, incurred a very iconic and violent uh, act by just, and again, worlds collide, you know, Worlds tend to sort of just run into each other, and it happened to be, like I said, in the top five facts, I think that uh, the guy that hit him was Eric Shaw, who uh, was an 84 Padre, which we'll get more into that next week. But it was uh, it was pretty nuts. A few things happened in that game, I think, probably worth maybe spending a minute on because wasn't Greg Maddox pitching for the Cubs also? Okay, so before we get to that, I neglected to do something I'm, I'm supposed to do. Did you hit record? I actually, you know, We are recording, amazingly. But how about this? The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action for opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up seven and you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. How would that have possibly happened to the Bears? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code POINTLESS to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code POINTLESS. Only at DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537, 21 or older, Illinois only, bonus issued as free bets, one early win token, issued at opt-in, money line bets only, deposit wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Can I ask, does that incentive only apply to new downloaders? Because I have begun dabbling in the uh, DraftKings If you have not set up a DraftKings account... When you set it okay, up, you so will be eligible. I'm, I'm not eligible. But, but um, anybody can do the thing where if you, uh, on week one, you pick a team, as soon as that team gets up by seven points, even if they end up losing the game, you win. How about okay. That? First score, basically. Well, it could be. It could be any time. Okay. Fields slinging the ball all over the place. And, because, yeah, the last bet I made, in. I have to say, I thought – uh, when I took my 89-year-old father out to the Cubs game about 10 days ago, first time he'd been to Wrigley Field in three years, uh, which had been the longest he'd gone uh, without being in Wrigley Field uh, since the early 40s, including a two-year stint in the Army. So it was nice to get him out there, and I figured, well, Justin Steele's pitching. I know the Cubs might be going for the sweep, but I don't care. I'm out here. I'm just going to burn $50 bet on Justin Steele and the Cubs. And I was sitting pretty until David Ross went to the bullpen. After six innings, no runs by Justin Steele. So, nevertheless, uh, I'm sad to admit that I cannot capitalize on that incentive for DraftKings. But uh, well, only one—you you know, only I'll, are eligible for one of the two. 
Okay. But I already have it. That's my point. Yeah, you don't get. You're not gonna get. You're not gonna turn five bucks into two hundred. Okay. Well, but what if you bet, uh, say a thousand dollars on the Bears, and then they score first, <laughs> you win, even if they lose forty-one to seven, as long as they were up seven points at any point in the game. You're I'm rich. sold. How could you not? Right. How could you not do it? Um. All right. So while I was reading that long thing, did you did you by chance look up the Eric Shaw? No, I was ranting, but I can find it pretty quick because I've got Andre Dawson's game log up. I can I can pin it. I said early July, but oftentimes that can be wildly off. But um, it was, in fact, actually, it was pretty 1987. Where are the Padres? And uh, yeah, here it is. So I'm gonna suspect that it was July 7th because that was because uh, that's a game where he started and apparently left in the third inning. So a face um, full of baseball. Yeah, it was nuts. And I don't know, because it does show you, right, on baseball reference, like what they're betting at the time, right? They're not like, so, I mean, after the game hit a 907 OPS, of course, still trailing your beloved Brian Dayette, who after this game had a 1.031 OPS. And also, uh, that the Cubs didn't turn him into the Hall of Famer he was always meant to be. No. Well, he's the one who came in for Andre. So, it was an upgrade. But, and and Dawson uh, hit his 24th homer off of Shaw in the first with two outs. 24th homer in early July. So April may do eight homers a month. I mean, he's on pace. He's on pace basically over a 48 homer season, which is what he would end up at. So we're all getting. We're continuing. He's continuing to just enthrall us. You know, ever since once he got hot after two weeks, it's just not cooling off. Um, and. So, yeah, first time up, goes yard against Eric Shaw. Um, keeps the inning alive. They score a second run after the Padres had scored one off of rookie Greg Maddox in the first. By the way, Dave Martinez had a solo homer to lead off the game. So, Andre puts them up. So, the Cubs have come into the game uh, with a 43. They're down to 43 and 39. So, they'd kind of fallen a bit since that Dernier walk-off put them, uh, you know, 24 and 15. But, you know, they're fighting. And Dawson's uh, leader. And, and notice who's not in that lineup, by the way. I should just point this out right now. Look at the double play combination. And this, it's probably something we might want to dwell on before we close the camp, considering this was a team that really wasn't that bad. Had we had the much promised in their prime double play combo of Ryan Sandberg and Sean Dunstan, right. who knows what would have become of the 87 Cubs. But. You think they were better than Paul Nochi and Mike Brumley? I will say that both Paul Noche, especially Paul Noche, but both he and Brumley got off the hot starts the first couple of weeks. So it was kind of like a joke. Hey, these guys are pretty good. But then we had to live through a long summer because I'm Sandberg. I don't know what happened to Sandberg there. He was out a long time and Dunstan, you know, it might've been Dunstan's first big injury, but they, they were, I just remember that as being the summer of Brumley to Noche. We didn't have Sean and Rhino kind of sad. Especially in retrospect, because it really wasn't that shitty of a team. I wonder. I mean, it, Paul Noche's OPS, by the way, seven eighty three after this Padres. Did Rhino has some kind of injury that would have forced him to, I don't know, leave his leave his <laughs> oh, wife unattended for long periods of time. Is he rehabbing in another part of the country? <laughs> well, or Cindy all he, alone? And he's like, "Hey, I'm in Chicago. The kids are here. I've got the seats in the in the wives section. I'm I'm going to keep going to the games." 
and maybe hang out in the clubhouse, you know, after just to say hi, you know, come down with some of the girls. Uh, 87, 87 was the, uh, the, um, the year of my infamous Tim Tuffle batting practice home run catch. Oh, all right. Put it in its proper place. On, um, on Billy Williams day. Oh, you were there for Billy Williams day. Very nice. Yeah. Billy Williams worth noting finally, because it was getting to be a sort of an annual angst ridden thing. Ernie gets in in 82. Uh, no, he got in in 77, but then, you know, Cubs were too busy just being Wrigley's to do anything about it until Dallas Green comes in 82. We finally retire Ernie's number. We have an Ernie Banks day, and then it's like the conversation was, well, what is Billy, Billy Williams going to get in? What is Billy Williams going to get in? So for a few years, January of 84, January of 85, January of 86, Billy Williams did not get enough votes to get in the Hall of Fame. Finally happened in 87. I actually remember where I was. My dad was so overjoyed. Channel 9 News told us. At the top of the nine o'clock, uh, nine o'clock news. So, so yeah, eighty-seven. Billy got his due because he's finally a Hall of Famer. So that was not the that was not the first Billy Williams Day. They uh, they had a previous Billy Williams Day in which there's a famous picture of the. I'm sure it was new, but it looks like they gave him a used car. Oh yeah, right when he was a player, still yes. right when he broke, um, Stan Musial's record for consecutive games played. June 29th, 1969, uh, between games of a doubleheader. Uh, they gave him, uh, they gave him a Which is thoughtful. I don't think I'm going to. So it's like, hey, look, this is cool. There's a whole video of the Billy Williams Day um, ceremony from 69 on, uh, but Al is the one who posted it. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to share that or not. I don't want to give him the satisfaction. Yeah, you're a man of principle. Maybe I will, just because. And maybe at this point, what's the harm? He's off on his own thing. He's got his. He's got them safely ensconced there anyway, where we want them. Uh, in this, the Eric Shaw game, I noticed that the third baseman for the Padres was Chris Brown. Mm. Uh, do you remember the most famous thing that Chris Brown uh, ever did? Not I'm, this is not the Chris Brown that. Uh, did he go on the disabled women. list? This was a different Chris for like Brown. a. Right, all right. He, he was a third baseman. Yep. Went on the disabled list for something weird. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Was sprained eyelid. Yeah, I thought it was eyelids, but like, who, what? Claims he slept on his eyelid wrong and it wasn't working right. He didn't go on the table list, but he missed a game. He took himself out of the lineup due to a sprained oh. eyelid. So when he's playing for the Giants. Yes, I remember Chris Brown as a Padre and Giant. I feel like he was traded for another third baseman, but. I thought he got traded not. for. Um, oh, the wrong Chris Brown comes. Out. I don't want that Chris Brown. Is there another baseball Chris Brown, or are you just no, Googling the, Chris Browns and trying to wife Peter? The, the singer who... Um, yeah. Oh, that's Bobby Brown that hit people. That's right. I'm disparaging oh, poor Chris Jesus Brown. Christ. Chris Brown came out as, oh, as gay. That's fine. But Bobby Brown punching everybody. Is there another... I, bet, I don't yeah. want to get into this. I think there's... A, I think there's. A, I don't know. Some, something bad. Maybe, maybe with a K. Who knows? Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I thought he got traded for Kevin Mitchell. That's what... I, that's what I was going to say. Then I guarantee you, you're right. But then it sounded stupid because Kevin Mitchell was a third baseman, but he was a left fielder when he won the MVP. Trade was this year coming up on. Uh, oh, he got traded to the Padres. So he came up a he giant. He just come over on July 5th. So Kevin Mitchell went from the Mets to the Padres and the Giants. Got it. 
Keith Comstock, Mark Davis, current Padres announcer and local boy, right? Mark Grant. I forget where he went. That's Mark Grant. Mark Davis is coming up, by the way. Yep. Yep. Um, Both come up. Both of those guys come up. It's a pretty noteworthy trade as far as names that we can still remember. Traded for Dave Dravecki, Craig Lefferts, and Kevin Mitchell. Yeah, you, well, you brought this trade up again because Craig Lefferts has the funniest journey of trades. Yeah. So, wow. And then a year later, he would get traded again with Keith Moreland. To the Tigers. Yeah, for Walt Terrell. Walt Terrell, 84 Met. Um, I also see in the Padre lineup that year, the eventual, to, to stand alongside what should have been Rick Sutcliffe, but was instead – Steve Bedrosian and Andre Dawson, the rookie of the year, future Cub, and they sucked with the Cubs, Benito Santiago. So there's a rookie of the year in the Eric Shaw game. I didn't even look, too. I'm sure there's video of that. I'm sure you want to post it if there is. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's tons of it. Now, remember, Eric Shaw, it's spelled Eric Show, kids. Now it's Shaw, S-H-O-W. So the Cubs pitching staff uh, had two Hall of Famers on it. Greg Maddox and Lee Smith. And Lee Smith. Greg Maddox had a great year. 6-14 and 14 with a 561 ERA. Struck out 101 in 155 innings. Walked 74. Who would have ever thought that little Greggy was ever bad? But he's only 21 years old. He was young. He was young. Also in um, that in that rotation, a uh, guy who would go on to win. Well, I got to look how many games. Two hundred sixty nine games in the big leagues. Jamie Moyer, Jamie Moyer, who, if if you were an idiot kid like me who didn't know, nobody really knew too much besides Bill James about sabermetrics, you would think that Jamie Moyer was the better pitcher than Greg Maddox because he won more games. Well, yeah. So they had quite a year. He was twelve and fifteen with a five ten. ERA. <laughs> Losing record. Yes, he won 12 games, but he lost 15 and got pounded. He's like, it's just a flesh wound. Uh, Ed Lynch was an 87 Cub. He had a great year. He was 2-9 and nine with a 538 ERA. Did almost as much damage as he would do later as a general manager. Right. Oddly enough, I... I I just happened to associate Ed Lynch with the 86 Cubs. I didn't know he he hung around. Uh, I just found something apocryphal about Greg Maddox, by the way, and it ties back to the Andre Dawson gets beaten in the face because the story was that Greg Maddox uh, started that game. He was Eric Shaw's counterpart. And that the story was, was that in that game, Maddox, who was struggling, he's coming into the game. Oh, yeah. Rick Suckham tells this story all the time. So you're going to tell me but that it's, it's apoc- wrong. It's apocryphal. It's I'm looking right now. This is July 7th, and I'm looking at Greg Max's game log. The story is, and it always has been, you know, in most circles, that in that game in which Andre Dawson, which I don't even know if we've broken it down, but just look at the video. Uh, crazy scene, and uh, he went on the DL, and then the game resumes, and Greg Maddox retaliates by plunking, which I'm sure did happen. Uh, you could find it in that game, but he supposedly plunked the Padre in retaliation, got ejected, because, of course, after the the Dawson hysteria, you know, the umpires have to sort of get a hold on it. It was a mad scene. You know, and Everyone, if you haven't ever seen the video, you'll, you'll see it. 
had to restore order. So warnings were issued. Greg Maddox was supposedly struggling, although he's only five and seven. He'd do worse later that season. He was not doing. He was not really struggling that bad. The rumor was that he's on the fulcrum and he could be sent down if he continues to like not do well. And he was in line to get the win in this game. And um, and before the fifth inning was complete, where he would qualify for a victory if the Cubs were even winning. And I'm checking to see if they even were at that point in the game. And they were. Yes, it was five to two. And then he plunked a Padre before he was eligible for the win because Dawson got hit in what inning? Like the Dawson got hit in the bottom of the third. In the third, and then in the top of the fourth, uh, you know, Dayet comes in. So yeah, Benito, eventual rookie of the year, Maddox strikes two guys out, and then he hits Santiago, and, and he gets tossed. He's out of the game. Yeah. And so that's the, that part's true. That's true. What's not true is that Maddox is. You know, prospects were hanging yeah. in the balance. He he did get sent down later that summer because his record would get worse. But he pitched again three days later because he only threw three innings, and then he pitched eight days later, six days later. He was not sent down. I don't even I couldn't even tell you when he was. I don't know that he was. I don't know if he. I don't. I don't know that he was. It's like a lot of Rick Sutcliffe stories. Most of it's true, but it's embellished. He embellished. Like the, he he embellished the stakes basically. Greg did what he said he did, which was Greg. In a season, in his rookie, in yeah. his first year, when he's trying to win games, all of that is true, right? There's right. a lot at stake. But for Rick him to makes not it sound that. like the Cubs are up eight nothing, and it's an easy win, and Greg gives it up, yes. and that yes. that he was worried, and that everyone's staring at him like, if you don't turn it around, son, you're going on this Gelb, this uh, Vandergeld. I don't know if mind. it was Rick or somebody else. Somebody else in their telling of the story says that the thing they enjoyed the most about it was they didn't have to tell him to do it. I like that, like. I he hope went that out part's and he, true. And, and he even waited and he picked out the catcher. You know, Shao's out of the game, but, the but you know, if they were throwing at Andre on purpose, he waits for Benito to come up and he hits him. Yeah. Of course, Benito might have been their best player, too, in 87. Was he? Was that his rookie of the year year? The Padres were oh, no, they have Tony yeah. Gwynn. He's never going to be their best player. Um, Actually, given the way Four. Greg pitched to Tony Gwynn, he probably should have hit Tony. Right, it's the one guy. It's the one guy. So I would say that Maddox was sent down briefly because there's a span between August 3rd and August 16th. He didn't pitch. So he was. He. I mean, by then, he. he it's what you got to do, especially if you're a team that's not seriously competing. You got a young pitcher. Just fucking throw him out there. And that's what they did. You know, he took a pound. He was 6-14. and 14, his, You know, uh, his, his ERA was, was up there, but he, you know, obviously was a – Pivotal experience for him. So who got the win? Scott Sanderson got the win. He vultured one. His fourth of the season. He would go on to win eight. That a boy. Yeah. yeah. Scott didn't get a, a double-digit uh, victory season for the Cubs until uh, his he, final season, eighty-nine. Yeah. Um, the other was, thing. Go ahead. I was going to say I think eighty-nine might have been the year when. He hyperventilated on the mound at Dodger Stadium and had to come out of the game. Remember that? He could have been. He Sanderson, like, no offense. He's just like started to breathe. It's like, um, was the line from Friends? He's not breathing. All he's doing is breathing. Right. He's hyperventilating. Right, right. Uh, one last thing about Maddox in 87, I want to just remember some crap, is that early in the season, in whatever situation, sometimes he was a few times utilized as a pinch runner. 
which I thought was kind of a novelty at the time. It wasn't common. I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving Gene Michael credit for it. It was just, you know, anything uh, innovative. It was just sort of stretching his bench, but it was kind of cool. Max was a good athlete. Obviously he won all those gold gloves. He was a good hitter. I mean, everything about the guy was just, you know, the approach Probably was the there. the only pitcher who was wearing his spikes in the dugout. <laughs> I remember yeah. there was a uh, there was a game during the Dusty era when uh, Kerry Wood pinch ran and scored, and he scores and the inning ends like right away after that, and the GM or whoever was doing the game got a great shot of him. He grabbed his glove. And he ran, he acted like he was, he looked at Dusty and acted like he was going to run to, pl- to continue to play in whatever position he had pinched run for. Like he was heading to left field. <laughs> oh, Dusty nice. Had to, Dusty had to stop him. It was really funny. It was clearly done as a joke, but he's like looking at him. He's got his glove and he's running out of the dugout and Dusty's like waving it back. Like, no, you're not in, I didn't put you in the game. thought that was funny. Uh, Joe probably would have let him play. Sure, go for it. Yeah. Get Strope and Travis Wood out there and left for a while. Of course, he ended up... Um, That's true. They kind of ruined the 2018 season, right? Was that when Strope got hurt? He got to hit uh, in that makeup, you know, the, the hurricane game. Oh, the Washington. Yeah, that slog down he the He let him bat, and Pedro ripped, like, almost got... Like, he hit the ball hard. Be, it was right, be, at the yes, down the, right at the third base line. The Senators, I don't know, it was Ryan Zimmerman or what, but... Uh, and he tried to leg it out, and uh, that was kind of the end. That's a he had been their most they had been their most reliable reliever, and he was gone for a while. I just wanted to uh, I just wanted uh, do one more pointless game because I was at this game. Had my cousin from London that was there, and if he thought I was sunburnt, you should have seen her. But we were in the bleachers on August, and I only bring this up now, not just because I was there, but it was August 2nd, 1987, because it's the intersection of Andre Dawson winning the MVP, Rick Sutcliffe getting robbed of the Cy Young, and Steve Bedrosian, who did win the fucking Cy Young, had a chance to nail down a save in a season in which he won the ill-gotten Cy Young, and our guy, Andre Dawson, in a game I was at, fucking tied it with a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. So this is basically a big fuck you to the sports writers who voted Steve Bedrosian over Rick Sutcliffe because in that very season, he couldn't even close out a game against a last-place team. So just want to enter that for the record. This caught my eye. So the game after um, the game after the Shao game, Greg pitched at home against the Dodgers. Greg's the, next start after the, the one that was suspended. Yeah, I guess Oral Hershiser. Oh, yeah. just like game one of the 1995 World Series. How about that? And Greg went, they got suspended after eight innings. Greg had pitched all eight innings. Gave up three earned runs, four runs total. Um, ten hits, struck out five. Oral pitched seven and two-thirds, and he had given up ten hits and three earned runs. Um, but this caught my eye. So... Greg balked in the game. This is July. How many balks do you think Greg Maddox had on July 10th, 1987? So I'm guessing uh, he balked a lot? It was his sixth. Wow. Okay. He's probably doing it on purpose. It was all because he's... Setting him off. He's just smart. Greg's smart. He does that shit. Greg's always... 
Greg's always about the long con. I want to know why that game was suspended. It must have been raining going on because it only went 10 innings. It had to be suspended late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was suspended. The Cubs tied it in the ninth. Yeah. And then it was suspended. It was suspended in the ninth. Weather unknown, but yeah. Uh, how did they tie it? It had to be weather, obviously. Uh, Ken Howell was coming in to get the save. And uh, Ken Howell. Sure. Ken Howell? Okay. Jim yeah, Sundberg. Not- Jim Sundberg singled. Hmm. Manny Trio walked. Walked. Holy shit. Gary Matthews pinch hit for Frank DePino. And he struck out. And Dave Martinez doubled. It scored Sunberg, and Manny got thrown out at home with the what would have been the winning run. Paul Nochi struck out, and they went to extra innings. Mariano Duncan tripled in Steve Sachs. And the game ended when Keith Moreland hit into a... The game was prolonged with two outs in the 10th when Rafael Palmero singled. Uh, oh, and actually advancing Andre Dawson to second. So runners to first, second, two outs. And Keith Moreland hit a double play to end the game. Oh, there you go. Trade that son of a bitch to San Diego. So that was the start. That was the start after Greg Maddox's uh, Andre Dawson game. But the game after Andre Dawson got beaned, I I, I put the link in there, July 8th. I'm only going to bring this up because our guy Oleg would tell me the story for years. He once went to a Cubs game in which he left early. And Cubs are getting crushed. And I don't know. Or I don't know what the score was. I just know that he he tells the story that he stepped off the subway like the Skokie Swift. He's like, you know, left left the game like an hour ago. And supposedly Jim Sunberg. And this is the reason I looked it up because you just mentioned Sunberg. And we've mentioned before too. It was kind of interesting. Sunberg was an everyday player every year up until this season, and the Cubs just decided to bring him on board, even though they had two time All Star Jody Davis. Sunberg, great defensive catcher. You know. That's all you need. But in this game, Jim Sunberg sparked a huge comeback by hitting a grand slam that I believe tied the game. And Oleg only learned about it when he stepped off the aisle and someone's like, Jim Sunberg tied the game. I'm an asshole because I left early. So I'm just giving Oleg a shout out because he would talk about that game for a long time. Games in which we left early and something fun happened. Yeah, Yeah. Cubs were down 8-4 to in the bottom of the 8th. Moreland single. Jody Davis walked uh, against uh, future Cy Young Award winner Mark Davis. Right, Lance, an opening day starter against Lance McCullers came in. Oh, and Manny, Manny, Manny Trio walked again. Job. Holy crap, Manny was a walk machine that year. Jim Sundberg hit a grand slam uh, to deep left field, it says. Maybe Waveland. Um, then Dave Martinez singled. Paul Nochi sacrificed him to second. Leon Durham was intentionally walked. Then Bob Dernier singled, scored um, Dave Martinez. Rafael Palmero came in. He popped out. Now there's two outs, and in comes Goose Gossage. Who would be a Cub less than seven months later. Yep. And Goose had his good stuff. Keith Moreland doubled to left, scored Leon Durham. Dernier to third. Jody Davis. Uh, oh, he throws a goose throws a pass ball, scores Moreland. Well, that's not Goose's fault. It's a pass ball. That's Up true. here's rookie of the year, Benito. Yeah, that's right. Then Jody, how about this? I wish we had video of this. Jody tripled. <laughs> a Jody Davis triple, scoring Keith Moreland. Ooh, this is the majesty of Jody Davis and Keith Moreland scampering around the bases. Uh-huh. <laughs> it looks like a football Sort of a suicide drill. 
Oh, that's great. Cubs scored eight runs on six hits. And they were up 12 to eight. And Frank DePino oh. came in and got the last three outs, and the Cubs won. Way to go, well, there, you, there you go, Oleg. We remember some crap from a game you were at. It happened in 1987. I thought you were going to say he gets – I really thought the story was he gets to the L station, and Jim Sundberg, while the game is going on, is there. <laughs> it's like has got pinch hit for or whatever, and he's just fucking right. went home. And Oleg, I'm done. Oh, I'm on the train. Yeah. Yeah, they got a bullpen catcher. They don't need me. He's like, I'm done. They can't put me back in anyway. I'm just going home. Yeah, Sumberg was a vastly overqualified backup catcher. He was. He'd won, it was strange. Forget, we said how many gold gloves he won last year. It was ridiculous. Yeah, you pointed that out. And he was an everyday player for the Royals just up until, uh, yeah. So interesting embarrassment of riches, really. Especially by 1980 standards, the Cubs had a catcher. Yeah, he won six gold gloves in a row between yeah. 76 and 81. Yeah. So, and Jody was a very good defensive. I mean, Jody, Jody was, you know, he played a lot. He was good, good all-around catcher. Better catcher than Summerg probably because he had some offense, but and some legs and some wheels because, you know, there he is going home to third on a ball hit to the right field in Wrigley. So we we broke down, I think, that he got traded to the Cubs for Thad Bosley and Dave Gumpert. But did did we break down the the trade that got him to Kansas City in the first place? From listen, Texas? Listen to this. This was a four team trade. Are there any was Jim by the way, Jim Summer was he not a seventy seven Texas Ranger, by the way? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Got it. much family hood. January eighteenth, nineteen eighty five. Four team trade okay. um involved the Brewers. The Royals. Uh, who else? Part of a so before trade. the '85 season, the Rangers sent a player named later and Danny Darwin to the Brewers. The, oh, the oh, Mets right. were involved. The Mets sent uh, Tim Leary, not Timothy Leary, but Tim Leary, to the Brewers. From that, yep. The Royals sent Don Slot to the Rangers. And the Royals sent Frank Wills to the Mets. The Rangers, you know a lot of those people. The Rangers sent Bill Hans to complete the trade. It seems like I guess it's completely unnecessary that, that that had to be one four-team trade. Just make your little trades. Well, um, you know, and Sundberg was one of those guys that I only knew through baseball cards because, again, no cable, and I'm a National League fan. And But I guess I didn't realize he was the World Series champ. He was the everyday catcher for the 85 Royals that met the Cardinals. So good on him. And then the other fact that I have to point out, whenever I see it, Jim Sundberg's career bore 40.5, which puts him above the Harold Baines bar. So by the Harold Baines metric, Jim Sundberg is actually a Hall of Famer. Uh, Sundberg got traded. He got traded a few times. He got traded by the Rangers to the Brewers for Ned Yost. And Dan Scarpetta. And Dan Scarpetta is from Rockford, Illinois. Pitched at Rockford Auburn High School. And Holy he fuck. was one of the original Beloit Brewers. I thought you were going to say one of the original members of Cheap Trick. Yes, also that too. Yeah, 1982, the first year of the Beloit Brewers. And Rockford How Auburn do you know that? pitcher Dan Scarpetta. I was there. That was the year Dad and I went to, went to a bunch of and games. you remember Dan Scarpelli, or you just saw that he was on the 82 Beloit? I remember Dan Scarpelli. 
I don't remember him. Was he a major leaguer of any note? Uh, he never made it to the big leagues. And so he's in the Rockford Hall of Fame. He got, how close did he get? He got to, uh, he pitched in AAA two seasons. Six so he was obviously, obviously local legend because like you just yeah. recited a whole bunch of facts. He was like your Dave Otto. So he was 19 years old in 82 when he's pitching for the Brewers and didn't pitch very well. Came okay. back to the Brewers in 83 and he went six and six with a 389 ERA and 18 starts. Got promoted to the Carolina League, Salem. But then he was back in Beloit again. Oh, how about this? In 19, I believe he threw a no-hitter for the Beloit Brewers in 1985. He was 13-3 with a 227 ERA. He's still 22. Oh, man. You're Heartbreaking. He didn't get his cup of coffee. That's when he had to get it. What ha- I wonder what happened. Well, he's in the Midwest League. Um, oh, he's still at A-ball. I'm sorry, he's still at A-ball. My bad. This is a different. This is a whole different world. The prospect perverts would pass out. Um, thirteen and three in twenty starts, he threw eight complete games. He 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 pitched two games out of the bullpen, finished both of them. He threw four okay. shutouts. He got promoted. He he's he pitched a double and triple A maybe right after that. Right? Tell me he did. I know he never made the bigs, but he had to have gone to at least double A. Uh, eighty five and eighty six, he went to double A. That's 86, it, though. 87, he played double A and triple A. Oh, man. But I'm positive he threw a no-hitter for the Bully Brewers. Might have happened. Go check with your old sports information friends. At, uh, are all those records extant? Uh, is Beloit still affiliated on Lake King County? Yeah, they're affiliated. They're in the Midwest League. They're the, they're the Marlins. Oh, I'm sorry. Guy. King County used to be in the Midwest West League. Yeah. King County used to be the Marlins affiliate. Now they're nomads. Mm, I don't see any confirmation here that he threw a no-hitter. He threw, so some, Scar- he threw a few in high school, but that shit doesn't count. That's sure. Everybody does that. No. Yeah, Sean I, Dunstan I, threw a I threw a no-hitter in Little League and not having a fucking parade for me. Sean Dunstan did like 820 in high school. Okay. Let's see. I'm killing time here trying to find the. Yeah, it would have been in this article. It would have been up front. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm just looking at it now, though. Unless you have any more uh, Dan Scarpetti nuggets to add, but nope. it's late. Basio pitched for the Blue Brewers. He threw, oh, he threw no hitter in the big leagues for the Mariners. You sure that wasn't Juan Nieves? Did Basio also throw no hitter for the Mariners, okay. not the Brewers? The Mariners, right? Okay, so. Um, the Cubs in 1987, like on this date, what is it, September 1st? They were three games over. They were 12 games out. They were in fifth place in the sixth place division. But that does sort of confirm what I was trying to grapple at earlier, that it was an odd season, you know, a lot of really good teams. Probably the peak NL East, you know, Expos, Cardinals. Well, we went through that, yeah, the 80s. The 80s and well, the they were, but I think it, it all came to a head in 87 because I believe you had 391 teams. The Cubs still f- were, were over 500 as late as September 6th. They're at 500 September 7th, and that was it. But still, three weeks to go, and they're still dabbling with it. Um, it's just it's just interesting. I mean, they never were – like I said, it, it, nobody 
you know, especially three years after 84, when maybe the slightest glimpse would get you to drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, nobody ever felt they were really in contention down the stretch, um, but they were not ever really that shitty. Well, they did they not. Were five, they were 500 teams they t- till then Gene Michael got canned and nobody cared anymore. They were 10 and 8 that year against the Expos. They were 9 and 9 against the Mets. They were 8 and 10 against the Phillies, but they did not do well against the Pirates or the Cardinals. They were 4 and 14 against the Pirates and 6 and 12 against St. Louis. Okay. That's what cost them. And it also probably didn't slow down the Cardinals, who couldn't have won the division by too many games because the, 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 the Mets were defending world champions. And they would win the division the next year too. So they were certainly in the midst. And the Expos were just always just the Mex any year in the eighties, the Expos are always like ranging from yeah, pretty good to just really good. Yeah, the Cardinals won the Cardinals won the division by three games over the Mets. The Expos were just a game back of the Mets. Okay. And the Phillies were 80-82. The Pirates were 80-82, and the Cubs were 76-82. Yeah, I forgot about the Phillies. I think we uh, chronicled the fact that this is actually the beginning of a really dark period for the Phillies, which, you know, we, we rehashed 89-90. and 90. They they were laughably awful before they reemerged in 93. So, But they were still competitive enough in 87. It was, a weird, it was just an interesting – just a, a interesting arrangement that – the joke is Andre Dawson wins the MVP from a last place team. And that's technically true, but I've always maintained the team from the year before, which we've discussed, which did not finish last worst by degrees of magnitude. So, you know, it's all, there's always a little more context. The giants won the West. Yep. And then candy mail, couldn't make a, Routine throw on a sacrifice fly in the LCS against the Cardinals. Although Mike Kruko, our guy, did throw a uh, complete game against the Cardinals in that season's uh, NLCS. I was pulling hard. I didn't hate the Cardinals like I do now, but I was pulling for the Giants in that LCS. Where is Kruks? It's his only postseason appearance. One game? Yep. Wow. 1-0, threw a complete game, gave up two runs, struck out three, walked one. That's pretty good if that's your only postseason appearance, throw a complete Fuck game. Fuck yeah, good for Krooks, man. And he was a uh, teammate with Rick Rush on that team. That was the Cardinals uh, going back to the World Series after the Don Denkinger kicked to the nuts, and then they would get kicked in the nuts again, so... You know, sometimes there is proof of a God. Granted, they got to win pennants in both of those years, but uh, the Cardinals, those are those are two pretty traumatic World Series uh, losses, I would say. Yeah, it's <laughs> they are two years apart. <laughs> so, uh, how do you think Will Clark, you know, he famously in the uh, 89 NLCS went batshit on the Cubs? Um Hit 650, 682, 1.200 slug, 1882 OPS. He was mashed, almost hit for hit by Mark Grace, but not quite. You're going to tell me he shit the tub in 87 as a rookie? 87? Is he a rookie in 87? I believe so. I think him and Andres Galarraga, there's a whole bunch of rookie first basemen coming up, like Wally uh, Joyner. It was the second year. He had finished fifth oh, my, rookie maybe, of the year, the year before. 86 uh, was the year for rookie first baseman. 360, 429, 560, 989 OPS. 
Holy shit, really? In the 87? Yeah, he was pretty good. His money. And then he did not, after the, like, he had 250 in the World Series against the A's. Uh, for Texas, he was in the playoffs twice. He really struggled against the Yankees okay. both times. 2000, um, was that the year, did McGuire get hurt? And that's why he had to take over his first baseman in St. Louis. In the NLCS against the Mets, which they lost. In 2000? Yeah, the thrill hit 412. He's 36 years old. 412, 500 on base, 706 slug. Mm. Why not? Lucky he came in. Yep. Yeah, I, I somehow I have this image of a sporting news cover in my head where there were like a bevy of National League. I thought I mentioned Wally Joyner, but maybe it was just National League first base, and they were all rookies around the same time. And you're right, I think it was 86, because Andres Galarraga was a bust, but he was very hyped for the Expos in 86, and then he reemerged when the Rockies came to town. But Will Clark was in that group. So I think it was both leagues. Wally Joyner was in that group. I don't know. Leon Durham. Well, Durham was established, just like Don Mattingly was established. But And it's not like it's that noteworthy that they're a bunch of good first basemen. It's not the hardest position to find, but, well, Maybe shoehorn Mark Grace in there. Mark Grace, 1987, he and Dwight Smith going for the Eastern League batting crown. That was going on that year. The future looked bright. The season, they were not a bad team, right? I think we've we've sized it up. I mean, there were some bad teams around them, 81, 86, not too far after that. They were a last-place team, sure, but there was no reason to not be a Cubs fan in 87, honest to God. And then the off season happened. Yep. And then Jim Fry got his hands on the wheel and yeah. started driving it quickly into the ditch. Even though they would, it would proof of how, just how much talent they had in the organization that despite his best efforts, they still won. <laughs> Couldn't screw it up completely, only partially. Enough to get credit for it when, as we've established, the 89 team is really a Dallas Green production. Green had burned too many bridges. Green was. You know, this is the era, you know, he's working in the same town as Mike Ditka. You know, we, we loved our bombastic assholes. And Green, it was justified with Green. You know, he, won, he was the first manager to take the dead-ass Phillies franchise all the way to the world championship. He leveraged that fucking turnaround, this four-decade dead-ass Cubs franchise as an executive. And, you know, he burned some bridges. He didn't make a lot of great moves. Like, you know, he screwed things up sometimes for himself, like not hiring John Vukovic. Like, why would you bring Stick Michael? It'd just be used against you. You know, things like overlooking, you know, administrative things like having to sweat out the Suckliff trade because he didn't put his guys, Carter and Hall, through waivers. And he almost lost Fergie Jenkins and then had to trade, you know, the great Scott Fletcher, well, that one accidentally worked out for him because we got Steve Trout and Warren Brewster. But, you know, a little bit of a mixed bag. He wasn't perfect, um, but he obviously fucking turned that ship around. He was a pretty dynamic, uh, exceptional person. And But by 87, though, uh, I think he'd used up a lot of his bullets with the tight asses at the Tribune Company. And, like, John Madigan, not the John Madigan, who is uh, Field of Dream star Amy's father, who was an WBBM radio, but the Tribune, John Madigan, I think is the guy that 
kind of came to loggerheads with Green after the season, but it came down to Tribune Company thinking they knew more shit than yep. you know the guys they hired, and they. I think the official record is that Dallas Green stepped down, but he was forced out. And it was weird because the day that he was canned, I remember it was the day that I went for my driver's permit. I was 15 years old. It was October. The season had ended. Listened to the radio and the guys driving us to the DMV. And um, he was forced out. But the, the story was always that supposedly he was going to first hire, finally hire John Vukovic to replace, you know, to fill the void left by, you know, first Gene Michael, then Frank Lucchese. And then supposedly he scra scrapped those planes and he was going to come down from the front office and man manage the team himself. We don't know exactly what it was, but he was definitely forced out. And then as we have established, uh, they charted a course that just drove them right into the ground after that. So that's it. That's my take. Because he did. He managed again. He managed the Mets. Yeah, we talked about that. He was in the other dugout and the uh, some game and the Yankees. No, oh, no, just the Mets. Yeah, the Yankees after the after he left the Cubs, he managed the Yankees for a year and then the Mets for four. Which I always felt bad about because, like, I not that you should feel bad for a guy that like made millions of dollars and. But it was like a double, like he, he reached the pinnacle. He takes the Phillies, he takes the Cubs, you know, these pinnacles. And then he's like, ah, he's got to put on the fucking pinstripe. He's got to fucking take answers from George Steinbrenner. Like he had to work, and he didn't have to work. I'm sure he could have lived off what he made, but he kind of had to go back into the grind. It was always sad. I was at the opening day in 1994, and Tuffy Rhodes hit the three homers up to I couldn't. And I remember how cool it was that at the end of batting practice, Dallas, you know, he, he, nobody knew who it was right away, but he kind of runs out with his jacket on just to grab a couple balls and throw them into the stands. And like, we gave him his due. You know, we're in the bleachers. Like, even then in 1994, like, Dallas, we're not going to forget you. But it was kind of like bittersweet. It was sad. Like, oh, look at him. Again, proper context. He's making millions of dollars. Yeah. I'm just saying relative to the pinnacle he was at, it's kind of sad that he had to kind of slough it off and you know, tell Vince Coleman to stop throwing bleach on reporters. Or, I don't know. Was that Brett Saber? I don't know. But Vince was throwing kind of, a, kind of a, firecrackers at fans. He, did, he, didn't really have the, he didn't really have the best end. You know, it didn't, he didn't go out on a high note. Yeah, it most people good. don't ever. Well, no, right. So, all right. Well, that's eighty-seven. So, uh, next up is the long-awaited uh, pleasure cruise of two thousand four. We've uh, the when we were doing the wheel, there are a couple weeks. There were at least two weeks where the wheel almost fell on two thousand four, yep. and I just don't know how I'd feel. I'm conflicted because it's. I got to get it out, but I'm anxious about it because there's a lot of frustration, a lot of a lot of emotions. Well, and there's a it's it's timely because there's a lot of comparisons of the 2022 White Sox to the 2000. Yeah, maybe we can recruit some Sox fan listeners. You know, bump the uh, listener count. Yeah, can, I don't want to do. They that. can. <laughs> I don't. On second thought, yeah. maybe not such a good idea. So, but yeah, well. It should be interesting, but I, I think uh, I think we gave eighty-seven. It's due, yeah, and and then some. Even if we talked for the first ten minutes about the Rangers of the seventy-seven Rangers for no apparent. As, as soon as we hang up, I'm not even fucking joking. I it will be, 
uh, finding reasons uh, why I've never known about the 1977 Texas Rangers. So got some homework to do. Yeah. All right. Well, you do that then. Thanks, Andy. I will. Many of us have herpes. I just want this to be over.